good morning, everybody, once again. And again, my name is Joe, Bielsen Campus Pastor here, and I'm excited to be able to share a message with you this morning. And um, how many of you have enjoyed, if you've been around here for a while, enjoyed the book of John? Have you enjoyed that? It's been pretty, it's been really powerful for me, um, personally speaking, uh, to sit under teaching and be a part of our teaching team and our sermon prep team that meets every Thursday to talk about the scriptures and really dive into, all right, Lord, what do you, what do you want to say to our church through these scriptures? And it's amazing when you look at the life of Jesus, how he will begin to change the way you think about virtually everything. And so that's why we endeavor here at Crossroads Church to be faithful to the scriptures and to, to journey through entire books of the Bible so that we can allow the person of Jesus, the story of Jesus, to dictate um, what we're learning, what we're grasping, what we're growing in. Amen? And so I hope you've enjoyed it. And it's kind of bittersweet. We're coming down to the wire here. I think we've got today I'm going to share and John chapter 21. And uh, next week, I think Pastor Sam's going to wrap up the entire book of John, which is like, what are we going to do next? I don't know. I'm sure we'll come up with something. But I'm always like chomping at the bit to like do a gospel like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John because like oh, I want to learn more about this, like the story of Jesus and stuff. But it's like, well, we just did one for a year. So maybe we should do something else. Anyway, we'll let Pastor Sam decide that when he uh, is back next week and all that stuff. So anyway, you're going to need a Bible this morning. If you're brand new, uh, we've got a gift for you. Uh, if you don't have a Bible or like to borrow one, we've got one for you. And you're going to need one of those to help track along and, and uh, follow along in our text this morning. So if you would like one, just put your hand in the air. One of our friends in the back will get you one this morning. One over here. We gave like a bunch of them away in the first service, so hopefully we don't run out. Uh, but anyway, that's our gift to you. And we hope and pray that you read it every single day because we believe at Crossroads Church that when we open the scriptures and read it, we believe that we get to meet with Jesus every single time. From beginning to end, this entire book is not just a collection of what we believe are authoritative scriptures for our lives as followers of Christ, but we more importantly believe that this is all one story, continuously pointing to the purpose and, and mission of Christ. And that changes the way we view the world, that changes the way we live our lives when we truly apply it. And we always say every single week around here, and may it never become cliche just because it's written on the wall, that this whole thing is all about Jesus. I think we can do a little bit better than that. Pastor Sam would be ashamed of you all right now if he were here in the room right now. Everything we do is all about Jesus. Jesus. And may that always be true, not just in this room when we gather or gather online, but every single moment of our lives. Amen? Amen. We're committed to that. So we're going to be in the book of John, chapter 21 this morning. The book of John, you can turn there right now in your Bibles. There's also the YouVersion Bible app, which is a great free resource. Can you believe, if you have never used the YouVersion Bible app, that thing will read to you. You don't even have to read the Bible for yourself. Me being a musician, I'm like not really a big reader, go figure. I like to listen to the things, podcasts, music, scripture. You know, I'm sounding super holy right now, but you can check out that app and it'll actually read it for you. So you don't even have to get a headache trying to read. Okay, it's amazing. Check that out. Do it every day as much as possible. But John chapter 1, sorry, John chapter 21, beginning in verse 1. You can say amen when you're there and we're going to jump right in, all right? All right. John chapter 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. 
And he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, uh, the sons of Zebedee and two other of, other of his, others of his disciples, excuse me, were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. If you know anything about me, I love, love that statement. I'm going fishing. We'll talk more about that later. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. I also uh, relate to that statement uh, more than I care to admit. Verse 4, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. Yet the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? King James Version says, Lads, have ye any meat? Good old King James. They answered him, No, he said to them. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in on the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. Verse 9, When they got out on land... They saw a charcoal, a charcoal fire in place with fish laid on it and bread. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. I would like just one fish, just one, one decent fish, much less 153 of them. Side note, I'm just going to venture to say that John here, being the youngest disciple, was probably the one they made count 153 fish and get them all out of the net. Just going to go out on a limb there because that's typically how it goes. Like, where's the intern? Where's he at? Oh, he's in Lompoc right now. Uh, like, have him count the fish. That's kind of generally how that stuff goes. Anyways, 153 of them, and although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them and with the fish. Sound familiar? Sound familiar to another story maybe? This is now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Will you pray with me and just ask the Lord to be with us in everything we say and do for his glory this morning. Jesus, we love you. We thank you and we honor you today. And we ask that these next few moments, the next approximately 33 minutes, that you would help me communicate your heart in this story, your heart for the disciples, your heart for us, to be with them, to care for them, to provide for them. Help us this morning to see truly who you are as risen, as glorified, as king of our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. My best friend, Ryan, uh, bought a boat. And now, my best friend, Ryan, he knows, before he got a fishing boat, he knew nothing about fishing. Uh, him being my best friend, um, I, I knew, I've been fishing kind of like my whole life. Uh, I grew up down in, in L.A., in Southern California, going out on charter boats with my dad as a kid. And 
Um, the charter boat experience, if you've ever been fishing on a charter boat, it's just like some of my best memories were like being on a charter boat as a kid, you know, like throwing up over the side and eating galley burgers and breathing in diesel fumes and cigarette smoke, you know, just amazing memories. Um, as a kid, I, I just think back now and just go, God, that was horrible. But um, no, some great memories of me and my dad where, you know, you'd pay hundreds of dollars to go get absolutely skunked and catch no fish and just have your line tangled up with the drunk guy next to you. It's just an incredible experience. I know none of you can relate to any of that. But I, I grew up doing that with my dad. And so um, in, in September of, of 2020, my best friend Ryan, he calls it his um, a pandemic crisis purchase, buying this boat. And um, I thought it was cool, so he took me out to the Channel Islands when he first got the boat. He knew nothing about fishing, so I'm showing him some things about fishing. So we catch a little bit of fish that first time. And, uh, you know, he's, he's, he had just turned 40, so kind of a midlife and pandemic crisis purchase, buys his boat. And uh, so I come home and do the same thing. I buy a boat, like the next day. I hop online and buy a boat, just like his, right? Just matching boats, boom. It was super cool. And my wife was like, That's, you need that. You just need to get out of my kitchen and go work on the, go do something with the boat. Whatever you do, just put some energy into that. Just get out of my hair. So my wife was super supportive. And so, so anyway, so he takes me out fishing and I get super uh, addicted to just boating and being out the Channel Islands, which is super fun. And, um, and, and so I'm, I'm having a great time with my boat and his boat and we're, we're doing all kinds of stuff. And what you quickly realize when you have a fishing boat or if you, if you take your family fishing and maybe, maybe guys, some dads in the room, maybe you can really relate to this. When you take your family fishing, it's incredible how little you get to fish while you take your family. You ever notice that? Anybody? Maybe moms, dads. It's, it's like, it's like the moment you've got the whole family dialed for fishing, the moment you touch your rod to start fishing or even put bait on your own hook, the moment that, that will trigger the chaos and tangled mess and bird's nests of your children. Has anybody ever experienced that before? And so if you actually do catch a fish as a family, it's usually not you who catches the fish. It's usually like the three-year-old because they're the one that get their, their first rod in the water. That's generally how the sequence of, of events happens. And so the other day, and this has kind of been the experience for, for my friend Ryan. Let me tell you about this story. The other day, my friend Ryan texts me this picture out of nowhere. That is a 44-pound white sea bass. Now this, let me tell you about this fish, okay? This is the most elusive ghost monster of the deep that everyone wants to catch. If you've ever had fresh sea bass at a restaurant in Santa Barbara or maybe in the valley, and this was caught right out there and it was like swimming this morning, it is the most succulent, it is the most tasty, it is the most delicious thing you've ever experienced. Light seasoning, because you don't want to overpower the fish, right? He texts me this picture out of nowhere and I'm, I'm at home with like a sinus headache with a cold and he texts me this picture, I'm just like, dude, you did it. We've been for two years trying to catch one of these bad boys. He finally gets one. And I'm like, dude, I am so happy for you. I can't believe you did this. You know, like how long did you fight the fish? I'm, at, I'm texting so many details. And then he texts me the next picture. It was actually his wife's <laughs> fish. He got to take a picture with his wife's fish. And I went, ah. Oh. 
you should have texted me the second picture first and I wouldn't have asked so many embarrassing details. But, you know, as, as my, now my friend Ryan, he's a good man. He's a good dad. He's a good husband. Of course, he's ecstatic, I'm sure, for his wife and a fish of a lifetime. And uh, no, but you want your kids to have fun. You want your family to catch fish. You know, it's a great hobby, and, and I love it, and I'm super addicted to it, and so is my son. And my wife and daughter get seasick, so there's that. But here in our text today, we see the heart of Jesus on display for his disciples. In verse 3, some, some, some things I want to point out in the text today before we, we get to some takeaways from this. In verse 3, Peter says, I am going fishing. After all Peter had been through, after all Peter had experienced, we've been journeying through this, this book, the book of John, the gospel of John, for over a year now. And Peter has been one of the central characters in the dynamic relationship between Jesus and his disciples. And Peter has had some major blow-ups. Peter has denied Christ three times, just as Jesus said he would, and just as Peter would, would deny he ever would, and he did. Peter has found himself at the foot of Jesus, uh, receiving from, from Christ um, experiencing miracles in the presence of Christ, seeing amazing things. And just, uh, just uh, the last couple weeks, we've talked about how Jesus had now been resurrected from the dead. He'd been spotted. People are, are seeing him around town. And now this is the third time that Jesus is revealing himself to the disciples post-resurrection, okay? And so he has seen Jesus before his crucifixion and resurrection operating at, at fully God capacity and fully man capacity. And now something is even more glorious and different about who Jesus is post-resurrection. Jesus is in this glorified body where he's different but the same. And it's kind of this mysterious thing that's happening. A couple, a couple in the last chapter, Jesus appears to, dis, to the disciples in a locked room. They're hiding out because they're afraid of the religious leaders. The Jews are going to come after them because word's getting out that Jesus' body is missing. Something has happened. And people are now starting to see Jesus glorified and resurrected. And it's getting around. So they're afraid. And Jesus walks through the, uh, uh, the door. And the door had been locked. So it's like, oh, Jesus, how did you show up through here? So, so they're freaking out. They're kind of confused at the same time, blown away by what Jesus is doing right now. And so in the text, we can kind of see there's some gaps. So like Jesus is kind of with them, but Jesus is doing other stuff. So he's not with them full time anymore like he was before. And so they're wondering what to do. Maybe when you were a believer at first, or maybe you're new to this whole church thing and this Christianity thing, and you're like, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe who he is. I, he's definitely changing some things in my heart, the way I think, the way I see the world. But what do I do now? Maybe when you first met Jesus, you kind of had a radical experience or like it just hit you like a ton of bricks and you just went, you know, I can't, I can't shake what this Jesus guy is doing in my life. I'm different now. I'm going to start following. I'm going to be a part of a, a church community, a, a, a Christian faith community and following Jesus. And maybe, maybe you found yourself after the kind of the, 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 the radical change and all the energy that sometimes comes with, with meeting Jesus for the first time. 
And after that kind of settles down, you kind of ask the question like, well, what do I do now? You ever been there? Like, where, where do I go from here? And Peter's, Peter's dealing with the same questions. He has experienced Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead, and there is nothing that is going to change you more than experiencing Jesus Christ as the risen king of the world. Amen? And for those of you who have been walking with Christ for a long time, you can look back on a moment where things just clicked for you and everything changed, and nothing will ever take that away from you. Can you say amen to that? So here's Peter experiencing the same thing, and he's got to to be wondering, well, what do I do now? Where do I go from here? So he decides that he's still got work to do. He's got some life to live. He's got to get on with living life. So Peter and his brother Andrew, they're professional fishermen. And so in verse 3 also, the other disciples say, well, we'll go with you. Because, well, we've been together for three and a half years. And, you know, we say at Crossroads Church, we talk about it this way, life is better together. So since life's better together, we'll come with you. And I just want to point out that not all of the disciples were professional fishermen. Most of them were not. James and John were, Peter and Andrew were. It's Peter's boat. He's kind of the leader. He's kind of the the skipper, right? And so skipper says, I'm going to go fishing. I don't know what you guys are going to do, but we're going to get on with life because we've got work to do. We've got needs. We're going to keep this thing going. But not all of them were fishermen. They had different backgrounds. They were a a diverse group of men. But life is better together. And the beautiful thing about the church is that somehow Jesus, through the power of his spirit, is able to take all of us who come from so many different backgrounds, different experiences, different families, different parts of the world, and unites us all under the common cause of Christ. Amen? It's a diverse thing. And how many of you know, like, sometimes when you're a part of a a diverse group, you're just kind of like, ah, that person over there, I don't know if I would do it that way. And then you start feeling judgy, and you're like, oh, I can't be judgy. Um, I, it, it's, it's hard. How many know it's hard to be around people that are different than you? Is that like an understatement or what? Can, you just, can we all just admit it's hard to get inside other people's heads sometimes and understand why they go about doing things the way they do or because they're different or it's like, I would never cut tri-tip that way. I can't believe he's cutting with the grain. Oh, my God. Can you stop? And you, oh, so don't point at your spouse, bro. <laughs> wow. And she's like, that's the way I like it. <laughs> anyway, and so it's, it's difficult sometimes being part of a, of a diverse group, even within your own family and relationships sometimes. But the disciples go, we'll go with you. We've been together this whole time. And Jesus has taught us so much about how to love one another. And so we're going to go with you and we're going to help out. And they don't catch any fish, and they've been fishing all night. Like I said earlier, I can relate extremely well with that statement. They've been fishing all night, and they don't have anything. And in the verse 5, Jesus shows up on the shore, and they're not sure who it is. But Jesus calls out to him, to them, children, do you have any fish? I love the good old King James. Lads. Have ye any meat? It's important to note here that Jesus is clearly concerned 
with their lack of fish for obvious reasons. They're hungry. This is a business. They need to catch a lot of fish in order to sell them and make some money. These men have families to take care of. Jesus seems clearly concerned. It's really a tender moment. So let's not just breeze over this like, oh, Jesus is going to perform another miracle. Zip-dee-doo, that's what Jesus does. Lots of fish, lots of fish for everybody. Just casting it on the other side of the boat. Miraculously, there's fish there. No, Jesus is extremely concerned, and it's a tender moment because he wants to care for their needs. So Jesus says to them, do you have any fish? Do you have any meat? Emphasizing that these, this, is a, this is a food issue. How many people need food? Everybody. Like, oh, not me, I never eat. I just starve myself. No, we all have needs. And it's, it's as if in this tender moment, Jesus is looking at his disciples, calling them his children to say, let me help you. My son, God bless him, he loves to tangle up fishing line. Set my rod down. All right, son. Remember, we got to open the bail. Get this out. Okay, there you go. He's concerned with helping them. And there's something tender in this moment about Jesus because he's concerned with their lack of fish, the lack of production. And he calls them his children from the shoreline. That had to be a little strange. They're 100 yards away, Jesus on the shore, calling a bunch of grown, greasy Fishermen, like think commercial fishermen, greasy, crusty dudes like down at Santa Barbara Harbor. You ever seen those guys? It's just like, these are some serious bros. They know how to catch fish. Even if they don't catch fish, get out of their way. They're not in a good mood. So he calls out to them, children, have you caught any fish? What a fitting response from disciples, from fishermen who've been fishing all night and caught nothing. Their response no. Just no. <laughs> Me and my friend John Ward, he played drums this morning. We've been out there a few times, and we've caught nothing. It's embarrassing. It's also expensive, the fuel bill and the tackle bill and all that stuff. And did you guys catch anything? You want to know what our response was? Nope. I'm tired. A little seasick. We'll try again another time. But Jesus is so concerned with their needs that he provides for their needs. Cast it out on the right side of the boat. We've already done this, man. We've been out here all night. We've got four professionals and a bunch of average Joes. I think we would have caught something by now. Cast it out on the right side and Jesus performs the miracle not because Jesus is interested in his glory in this moment, not because Jesus is interested in proving himself once again. Jesus has proved once and for all who he is, for all time, for all of eternity, to mankind. Here, he is absolutely concerned with providing for their needs because he cares. If you've been following Jesus for any length of time, you can look back on your life, back on moments where Jesus showed up in a way that you can't deny, and you know it's because he cared. You know it's not because you deserved it. You know it's not because you earned it. You know it's not because you were worthy of such attention and grace and mercy. 
But you can look back on your life and go, oh man, God, you were there. That job opportunity, that, that moment you met your spouse, you orchestrated it all. It's as if Jesus was standing on the shore of your life saying, children, son, daughter, have you caught any fish? Do you need a job? Do you want a child? All those moments, the significant moments of your life, Jesus providing for your needs, not because he wants anything from you other than the best for you. What's best for you in a moment. Here's some implications this morning from our text. Number one, what we see here with the disciples is that Jesus meets us in our real everyday life. Jesus meets us in our real everyday life. And we have to resist the temptation as followers of Jesus to compartmentalize our faith. Because sometimes what we do is we, we detach our real everyday life. Like I'm a real person. You're a real person. We're not all just living in our own highlight reel or movie reel, the movie or the TV show of our lives. We have to resist this detached nature sometimes that we have to kind of live in our own head and understand that we live in a real life surrounded by real people. We're a part of a church community, a family of believers. We're a part of the global church that Christ is building on this earth, and that's real, amen? That is not figurative. It is real in existence. And sometimes what happens is we treat all of this experience differently than we treat our faith in Christ and our journey with Christ. When really, as a human being, our existence is fluid. This is all one experience. Your parenting, your, your marriage life, your sex life, your, your diet, everything is all connected. And Jesus cares about every single detail and idiosyncrasy in your life. Can you say amen to that? He cares because he must care because of the work of the cross. If Jesus didn't care about every single detail and the number of hairs on your head or lack of hairs on your head, if he didn't care about that, he would not have died to redeem your soul from your own sin. He wouldn't have done it. He wouldn't have been truly authentic. If God is, if, if, if the Father in heaven did not truly care about every single detail of your life, he would not have wagered such a sacrifice. Never. Something so true, the very essence of who he is, grace and love, undeserved, died on a cross. We can't compartmentalize our faith and separate everything and act like this isn't all one experience. And if you begin to follow Jesus in your life, and for those of us who have been believers for a long time or any period of time, we can all attest to this, that if you begin to follow Jesus, he will show up in your relationships. He will begin to change things. He will show up in your business. You go, I don't know if I can run my business this way anymore. He will show up in your family. He will show up in the way you live your life and you will not be able to shake it. This is a litmus test that the apostle John writes uh, very famously in his letter, 1 John. There's an entire, um, I teached a series on this two years ago in the book of 1 John. You can go back on our website and check that out. But the idea is that you will become more like Jesus when you follow Jesus. It's unavoidable. He will discipline you. 
He will, like a good father does, he will disciple you, which means he will teach you and you will be moved off of your spot. Where you think you are comfortable, he will not allow you to stay. Number one, Jesus meets us in our real everyday life. Number two, Jesus will disrupt your life. He will disrupt your life. When you think everything is okay, when you think um, everything's honky-dory and you're comfortable, and it's like, I gotta come to church, I drop something in the offering, volunteer once a month to make coffee, I, 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 I do all these things, uh, you know, I, I take my wife out on date nights once a week, like I'm checking all the boxes and you're doing everything, quote, unquote, right, Jesus will disrupt your life. Just ask the disciples. For all I know, this might have been the last time Peter ever went fishing. And wait until next week, the conversation, don't read ahead, the conversation Jesus has with Peter and the type of death Jesus will tell, tell Peter and prophesy Peter will have. Incredible. When you think everything's fine, when you think I don't need to change, but Jesus is a part of your life, he will change the trajectory of your life. He will change history through the lives of his church. Ask the disciples. Just ask the Apostle Paul. When Apostle Paul was at the time and even to this day, one of the most notorious criminals in the history of the world, slaughtering innocent Christians and imprisoning them, persecuting them, all in the name of his religion. He was a zealot. He was a criminal. He was a murderer. And then he encountered the risen Christ in all of his glory, the resurrected king of the world, Jesus appears to Paul on the road to Damascus and has an experience and became one of the most prolific writers in all of history outside of even just the Bible. This man on the road to Damascus experienced the risen King Jesus and moved him and changed the trajectory of his life and changed the course of history, human history. Why? Because he cared for Paul. There was something he had for Paul that was going to be more powerful than even Paul could have imagined. And every single detail of Paul's life leading up to that moment was for a reason. And even the redemption of his very sin, Jesus would use as a testament to his glory. Just ask the disciples. Just ask Paul. How do I know that Jesus will disrupt my life, your life, when he shows up. I read scripture. We center our lives around these stories because all of these stories are about people who God radically changed for his glory and the good of all of the people that those people would touch in their lives. And it's the same for you and me. Just ask someone sitting next to you. When'd you meet him? What's your story? What's your testimony? That's a word, isn't it? Testimony. Sometimes it's this legal term, people on the stand swearing an oath to tell the truth. For us as believers, it's our story. It's the story that God is writing 
through our lives and continuing to write. It's your story. It's my story. And Felipe is going to come play guitar and make me sound more spiritual. I've got a story. You've got a story. When you met Jesus. And when you talk to somebody, maybe some of the gray hairs or no hairs in this room, they can tell you all about how when they met Jesus, things begin to change. Some of you in this room, I know your stories, and I can replay them in my mind right now in this moment. As I was preparing for this sermon this week, I had to had a decision to make because if you were around for the first service I'm going to tell you this story about how Jesus changed the trajectory of my life and he changed the course of history for my family and it's really personal it's pretty emotional I'll do my best forgive me Story, 1978, Southern California, Orange County. My parents met at Wiener Schnitzel. 1978 in Santa Ana, California. My dad spent a few years in the army and uh, just got back from Germany by way of Vietnam. Seen some things done some things if you know anybody who ever lived through that you know it could be difficult so he's back and he's he's got this job working in the kind of the tech industry of that time and he walks into Wiener Schnitzel and sees this young thing 17 year old 18 year old thing behind the the counter and you know my my mom starts flirting with him he's a little older he's got a, a bright orange Nova in the parking lot. <laughs> Seen a few of those around, haven't we? So they begin to kind of flirt, and he, uh, the Wiener Schnitzel is like right around the corner from where he works. So every day, like every day for lunch, he comes in and sees my mom. And my mom's like, hey, baby. Uh, and like, so he would order the same thing every day uh, two chili dogs, extra cheese, extra onions. And so my mom was like, my mom would make sure that she'd have you know, the chili dog's ready for him because he came in every day and she would like just load him up with like way more than he's supposed to and free fries and stuff like that. And so before you know it, they, you know, they, they fall in love and my mom's 18 and there's part of the party scene and doing the whole thing, living the, living the life as young people do. And she gets pregnant. And, you know, during that time, uh, really not too different from today really not much has changed in the world a lot of people moments like that being an 18 year old girl um, on her own like living on the couch of some friends abandoned by her parents my dad comes in a little bit older guy gets her pregnant during seasons like that and even today you know it's like hey you know what baby that's that's your choice if you want to keep the baby. Like, I'm not going to tell you you have to. You know, we can, there's a clinic. 
Mom said, no, I want to I wanna keep this baby. My dad is going, well, maybe I got to at least see this thing through. She wants to keep the baby. But, you know, in so many words, I'd already told my mom, you know, hey, we're, I don't, I think we're through. I, I don't, I don't think it's a good idea for us to get married, but, you know, I'll see this thing through. I'll, I'll stay with you and, until you have the baby. What my dad didn't know, my mom, living through the trauma of being a 16-year-old girl and getting pregnant by a much older man at that time, a man that would threaten to kill her if she didn't have an abortion, and now she's having to relive all this trauma of abandonment in sin, of getting it wrong, and here I am again. Nobody, nobody wants me. She says, okay. One day, my mom's best friend, Karen, invited my mom to Trinity Broadcast Network Studios in Santa Ana, California for a live taping that night of Praise the Lord with Paul and Ann Crouch. Some of you are old enough to remember that. She'd meet Jesus that night. And that would change the course of history for me and my family. Because Jesus did something so radical and interrupted my mother's life. And she said, no, I'm not going to have another abortion. Not again. There's something drawing me, something wooing me, something different moving me off of this spot. I'll go to a TBN taping and meet this Jesus. Now something has changed so radically inside of me. She tells my dad, you got you to gotta come to church with me. Ho-hum. If you knew my dad, it was always ho-hum. He walks in to a little church in Orange, City of Orange, California. And it was Easter Sunday. My mom had been following Jesus for two weeks. She invites my dad to church. I pull up in the Orange Nova and there's a choir that Sunday, an Easter, an Easter choir. And, uh, you know, the, the, per, the, the choir director that day was, was leading worship, and his brother-in-law was the pastor. But the choir director that day was a, a guy who would later become really famous. His name was Carmen. You remember Carmen? A famous Christian artist. Carmen's leading the choir. And uh, if you're around in the 70s, uh, you might remember an artist called Keith Green. And they played Easter song. It's so funny. If you know the Easter song by Keith Green, it's hear the bells ringing, they're singing. Through that song, that song changed my dad's life. Changed the trajectory of his life. In a moment where he heard bells, he heard the singing, he heard the story. 
the gospel story, this, this good news. This good news that you're screwed up. You're going to get it wrong. And there's one man who's going to get it right. And he's standing at the shore. He's standing on the shore. And children, have ye any meat? Let me help you. Because he loves you. That day, my dad met Jesus. My mom met Jesus on a live television show. And it changed the course of history. And I know now that no matter what I'm doing or where I'm doing it, Jesus will be on the shore waiting for me. Preparing things in advance. The fire was already made, the fish already cooking, the bread already prepared. All the disciples had to do was just show up. You know what's incredible? When you go to somebody's house and everything's already prepared for you and it's come sit down. You know what that sounds like, church? Psalm 23. He prepares me a table in the presence of my enemies. And sometimes your own worst enemy is yourself. And if you could just stay at the table and feast on his goodness, children, do you have any fish? No. He already was already prepared. And you know what he does? He says, bring some of those fish you caught over here. I mean, I've already got it all prepared because he cares. And I know that no matter where I go, no matter what I'm doing or where I'm doing it, he will be there from the shore. Joe, Joe, you need anything? That's my story. That's my family's story. I didn't finish the story in the first service because I was running low on time and running out too. But you know, that baby was my older brother. My older brother lives in Missouri now. He's pastoring a church. Beautiful family. They'd had my sister and they thought they were done. And then there was me and my little brother. Two whoopses back to back. Sometimes God does stuff like that. We all love Jesus. All four of us. I won't tell you the story about how I walked away. That's another time. What's your story? What have you been through? Maybe you're still going through it. Hear his voice, church. Hear his voice. Hear him call. Hear him call to you. Children, do you have any fish? Listen to his voice. Be different. Don't compartmentalize. Understand that he will move you. He will disrupt you. And it's all for his glory because his glory is for your good and it's just better than anything you could possibly dream up on your own. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the truth of your scriptures. 
and the story. The story that you're writing in our lives and through our lives so that you would get the glory and we would get the joy and the good of knowing you, knowing that we're loved, knowing that we're cared for, knowing that we're provided for. And even in the mundane, everyday life of the work and business and relationships that we have to steward in this life, you're active and aware and present, calling to us, wooing us through your spirit, active on this earth so that you would get the glory and your children would get the good of a loving father. We thank you that you changed history to reach our hearts. And we honor you today and love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen, church. Will you give him praise and glory this morning? Amen.